don't know anything about life. <laughs> <laughs> Good afternoon, Fabcasters. This is our bar with the Drive Time Podcast coming to you live from my living room with my partner here, J-Bar. Wait, we can't say partner. That's a different connotation. Anyways, J-Bar coming to you live as well from the studio. I don't usually do this, but I want to be sitting in front of my computer because I want access to several articles that I'm going to be reading today because today's a special day. So it is January 16th, 2017, and I'm at the tail end of what my work calls a 72-hour weekend. So we got today off as well as the rest of you. But before uh, before I went on uh, vacation, it was Friday. My boss sent an email out to the entire uh, work, and he says, uh, you guys got to read Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from Birmingham jail. And he said a lot of nice things about it. And um, he's not a black guy, but... He said, you have got to read this because this captures the essence of what he was all about. I'm paraphrasing it. So um, it's, it was just – I was so blessed by that because we have a, a fairly large workplace. And if everybody did what the boss said, then they would have got their socks knocked off when they read this thing. So what we also did today as a family was uh, we watched a movie. Now I'm going to pull up the movie here. It's, it's uh, called An American Girl Story, Melody, 1963. Love Has to Win, a subtitle. It, it was made last year, 2016, and it is put on by uh, American Girl and Amazon. So it's an Amazon Prime uh, special, and I believe you could watch it for free, but you've got to watch this video. It's, it's family-friendly. I watched it with my uh, wife and four kids and the two dogs, and everybody loved it. It was really moving. I, I loved the actors in it because they just captured... Um, just the racial tension in the 60s and what was shocking as, as I'm watching this and it's shocking every time I think about Martin Luther King Jr. But, but this is 1963. So this is within the lifetime of, of my parents. I mean they were kids in 1963. So that's uh, 54 years ago. So that's it's, it's shocking on that level on how close this is. This is within uh, my parents' lifetime. So this is just recent. That That's really heavy to me to think about. And so when my kids are watching this thing, I, I'm reminding them as well, this wasn't that long ago. And uh, I have a quote-unquote uncle who who uh, retired from the Navy. He joined the Navy out of the Philippines in the 80s. And even then, even in the 80s, it, he was told when he got on to his submarine, if you're black or brown, go to the back there and if – uh, and, and I don't know if that was just isolated incident on his ship, but he but he says it was a very present thing. Not that it was endorsed by the Navy, but he said it was just it was happening. Uh, so that's shocking as well. But but the '60s wasn't wasn't too long ago. '80s wasn't too long ago. So that's the first thing I want to encourage you. If you haven't seen an American Girl story, Melody, 1963, Love Has to Win. Um, it is a must-see with the family. So second of all, I'm going to pull up here the letter from Dr. Martin Luther King from the Birmingham jail. But first of all, I want to read a little background on what happened there. So in 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. was arrested in April along with a guy named Ralph Albert, Albert Nathy 
in Birmingham, Alabama, for demonstrating without a permit. He spent 11 days in jail, and during those 11 days, he wrote and released a, a, a letter called Letter from Birmingham Jail. And the Birmingham campaign goes becomes a major turning point for the civil rights movement, resulting in the desegregation of the schools and retail establishments, the restaurants. It was just the pivotal, pivotal year for the whole civil rights movement. 1963 was where it was at. And as he's writing during this time, too, I'm thinking this is incredible because he's, he's my age. In fact, he's younger than me. I believe he was, he was definitely in his early 30s. I think he was 34, but, but in any case, it's remarkable, and it's, um, it's inspiring. So what he does in this letter is he's responding to uh, several of his colleagues. Uh, there were other ministers who were telling him to, hey, just, just uh, I'm paraphrasing here, to wait and, and to take it easy on these demonstrations. And what's interesting about these other ministers is they were all white. So they're not giving them much hope uh, for for empathy or, or sympathy. They're just telling him to wait. And so here's, here's a response from Dr. Martin Luther King from the Birmingham jail. Um, he says this, For years now I have heard the word wait. It rings in the ear of every Negro with piercing familiar, familiarity. This wait has almost never meant has, al- has almost always meant never. We must come to see with one of our distinguished jurists that, quote, justice too long delayed is justice denied, end quote. We have waited for more than 340 years for our constitutional and God-given rights. The nations of Asia and Africa are moving with jet-like speed towards gaining political independence, but we still creep at horse and buggy pace towards gaining a cup of coffee at a lunch counter. Perhaps it's easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. But when you have seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, and even kill your black brothers and sisters, when you see the vast majority of your 20 million Negro brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to the public amusement park that has just been advertised on television, and see tears welling up in her eyes when she is told that Fun Town is closed to colored children, and see ominous clouds of inferiority beginning to form in her little mental sky and see her beginning to distort her personality by developing an unconscious bitterness towards white people. When you have, when you have to concord an answer for your five-year-old son who's asking, Daddy, why do white people treat colored people so mean? When you take a cross-country drive and find it necessary to sleep night after night in uncomfortable corners of your automobile because no motel will accept you. When you are humiliated day in and day out by nagging signs reading white and colored. When your first name becomes nigger and your middle name becomes boy, however old you are, and your last name becomes John, and your wife and your mother are never given the respected title Mrs. When you are harried 
by day and haunted by night by the fact that you are a Negro, living constantly at tiptoe stance, never quite knowing what to expect, and are plagued with inner fears and outer resentments. When you are forever fighting a degenerating sense of nobodiness, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. There comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged into the, to the abyss of despair. I hope, sirs, you can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatience. You express a great deal of anxiety over our willingness to break laws. This is certainly a legitimate concern since we so diligently urge people to obey the Supreme Court's decision of 1954 outlawing segregation in the public schools. At first glance, it may seem rather paradoxical for us to consciously break laws. One may well ask, how can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? The answer lies in the fact that there are two types of laws just and unjust, and I would be the first to advocate obeying just laws. One has not only a legal but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to obey unjust laws, I mean to disobey unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine that an unjust law is no law at all. So the, the letter goes on and on. There's some really good quotes in here. You can see that he was a well-read man. He was a man of faith. He was a man who had thought about these things and strategically submitting to becoming arrested so that the so that civil rights movement could gain even more media coverage. I mean, this this is well thought out and 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 receiving special um, patience and grace and mercy and love from God. This is. This is a movement that forever marked the black community in the way they worship, in the way they they cast themselves at the feet of God, and that's why my friends in the in the black gospel church, it's it's just different. It's just different. They have, they have this thing called whooping, where one of my friends had went, gone to this black pastor's conference, and he goes, they were uh, this whooping thing, and uh, I've never really looked into that, but it, but I know what he means. It means there's when when the pastor is preaching and when the when the minister is ministering, there's there's people saying Amen, preach it, brother, and and it's this all in type mentality. It's just a different mindset because of the oppression. Um, just like any people group that have been oppressed for for a long time, they come out of that stronger, and then they can say the words that Joseph said: "What what men meant for evil, God meant for for good." So, and, and thinking about that. Um, and, and seeing that this thing was, wasn't too long ago, I, I can't help but think about my own situation and putting myself in their shoes because I have a six-year-old daughter because I had a five-year-old son. So I'm, as I'm reading these quotes, I can't help but, but think about it. Now, now, I was angry when someone put their hands on my kid um, on the bus or at the park. A, a kid said something. I can't imagine. I can't imagine as I'm watching this movie, American Girl. These 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 three boys um, were telling the little girl to go back to Africa. They were saying these mean things, and and um, as my kids are watching this as well, I'm, I'm I'm thinking of the things that we've been teaching them, and that's hurt people, hurt people. Because really, what's at the root of racism? 
it's obviously people who who have rejected the narrative of the Bible, which says that we all came from Adam and Eve. So, so for someone to buy into the lie that that one particular race is better than another has completely rejected the story of the Bible. I mean, for for anybody. Now, I know this comparison is it, it does not compare at all to what people. Um, experienced in in the south and in in all throughout the united states in the 60s in the 50s and 70s and 80s but i i know what it's like on the on the other end just just a little taste of it to to think for a moment to buy the deception that i'm better than someone else because of the color of my skin now just forgive me for this is not a good illustration but when we lived in hawaii i actually felt a little bit of that and <clears throat> I had friends that were I had a good friend that was in the in the Marine Corps and he got stationed in Hawaii and and they were really sad because he felt um, that they had to move because he felt rejected ba- based on the color of their skin and he felt like some particular locals not all locals I've, there's a lot of aloha in Hawaii but there were some particular locals that were giving my friend and his son a hard time saying he didn't belong there and that he should just go home and and so that's what they ended up doing. And then when when we lived there um, a few years ago, uh, I, I felt I felt those deep roots of of pride and racism in my own soul, and and which didn't make any sense whatsoever because my best friends in the world are from all different um, ethnic backgrounds. Um, got a lot of white friends. Got a lot of Japanese friends. Got a lot of Chinese friends. Got a lot of Filipino friends. Got a, I got friends of all over. But, but there was something about, especially when I was surfing in Hawaii, I would get these, I would get these evil and offensive racist thoughts like, "You don't belong here, man. Like, go, like get out of your haole." Or, or, and, and I'm thinking, what am I? That doesn't make any sense, man. I, um, I'm not a racist, but these, but these things would start to come up, and it even had some. So one guy that I talked about in an earlier show, um, he told me a very racist remark. It, it was a he was an Asian guy because you know this this neighborhood was all was okay before you brought these howlies over here. And, and I'm thinking you have no idea what these guys do for a living. They're fighting for your freedom, fighting to maintain freedom. Uh, these are heroes. But he had bought into the lie that he was better than somebody else based on their color. Now I just want to also pull up here. Uh, what does the Bible say? about racism. Um, for John 7.24, uh, one verse, it says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Now, I'm not going to get into the context here and break it down and exegete it, but it's pretty simple, isn't it? Don't judge people by their appearance, but, but judge with right judgment. Um, so for someone to reject the fact that, that, that we all, that God created man, and then from there, it just man man reproduced. That was that was one of the first things he was ever told: be fruitful and multiply. Um, you would have to be atheistic, or you'd have to reject the notion of God, because if if someone accepts the the belief in God and, and that uh, <clears throat> that um, Almighty Creator created all of heaven and earth and the animals and the birds and and mankind, you, you can't end up. At having racist thoughts, having fascist thoughts, having any sorts of any sort of of pride or racism, it just it just it's they're contradictory. 
In Romans 10, 12, Paul says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. So true identity is not even in ethnicity. So if, if someone finds their identity, like let's say I'm a Jew or I'm a Greek or I'm a Filipino or I'm a – and, and that's, that's where their identity lies, it's also deception. It means they've bought into the lie that they are who they are based on the color of their skin. When the Apostle Paul is trying to tell people, no, no what did you do to be born into that ethnic, ethnicity? Nothing. It just so happens that you are from that. And there's this other video that just, just came to my mind about these people who had, they were saying racist things and they were saying, yeah, I'm, I can't stand this group. And then they had all these people, they, get, they got these uh, tests. I think they spit in a tube or something and, and they, they saw what their ethnic makeup was and they were just blown away. That's, that's on YouTube. That was a pretty powerful, amazing video uh, because it was people coming into the light saying like, oh my gosh, uh, I got a lot of ethnic blood in me. And it, it all goes back to the fact that it, it pointed to, that's what I got from the video, that, that we, all came from, we all came from the same um, Adam and Eve. So another verse, um, there's racism all over the Bible. And in fact, when I was in the Middle East, uh, I was in, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of racism in the U.S. And, and people treating it as like, man, this, this is an epidemic. It's really not when compared to other countries. I mean, I think some of the issues here is like, hey, where are you from? Um, people calling each other racist. But, but in the Middle East, it's, it's, it's at a whole new level. It's almost like the, the U.S. has a junior varsity version of racism. And over there, I remember I was in Israel one time and I crossed the border – into Palestine, trying to go to Bethlehem to go see um, Church of uh, Church of the Immaculate Conception there, and I just remember I, it was like stepping into a Tim Burton movie. I stepped into some darkness, and I can just feel, I can feel the hate. I can feel um, there was just this sense of darkness. And now realizing that that God's given me really developing within me this spirit of. Uh, of discernment and being able to see what's going on and, and feel people's feelings and and experience their emotions. I just felt some darkness. And over there, it's it's not like uh, anybody's going to be called a name. It's it's like there's plans to kill them and their brothers and sisters and their grandmas. And I mean, that place, there's been war there for a long time. Um, that's, that's some heavy, heavy racism over there. But I know sin knows no address and knows no bounds. I mean, this stuff is everywhere because racism will always be where the enemy is at work. This isn't even really a, a certain people group thing, like like as if man originated this this lie. It's It's from the enemy. So it's been around since the beginning of time, ever, ever since... <clears throat> the devil's been doing his thing and, and of course God's like alright go do that because he's sovereign but that's how long racism's been around this is not a, a, an epidemic that's just arisen within our time uh, this goes back way 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 back when uh, when man was first deceived by the lies of the enemy 
So some more verses because I think I think the scripture has the best things to say and it's, it's the best antidotes to, to racism. Um, 1 John 2, 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. <clears throat> so there we go. We have it again. Whoever buys into the lie of racism or thinking they're better than someone else based on the color of their skin has just bought into all sorts of lies. And that's a scary thing because the root of pride will manifest into all sorts of things. You show me an angry man, I'll show you that he has some sort of root to either pride, now maybe he's bought into the deception of maybe, well from my experience, maybe he's addicted to something like porn. And that's manifesting and feeding into anger. But you show me a person that's racist, we can uncover all sorts of things underneath in that person's heart that's manifesting into anger, into irritation, into hypercritical spirits, into frustrated and beaten his kids, um, frustrated with his wife. You, you show me a person who has a prideful, racist heart, and I can show you a person who has tons and tons of bad fruit in his life. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created man. Uh, <clears throat> Romans 2.11, I'm just going to breeze through these, and then, and then you can reflect and pray through these things. Romans 2.11, God shows no partiality. He's got no favorites. I don't think God favors one color over another. He, he's, he's all about having people reorient to their true identity. And it's, uh, it's just a world where, where people tend to find their identity in what they do, such as their jobs. They find their identity in the color of their skin. People tend to find their identity in, in, uh, in how much money they have. Uh, where they live, what kind of clothes they wear, and I, I just, I just want to push against that all for my kids. I mean, we have a, <clears throat> we have a lot of nice things, things that gifts that people have given us. Um, so glad that there are many boy cousins in my family because we get a lot of good hand-me-down clothes. Um, but I don't, I don't want my kids to find their identity in anything we drive, anything we have. I want them to constantly find their identity. In God, and identity in Christ, and 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 I grew up hearing racist things. Uh, my my parents were not racist at all, but <clears throat> I did hear some things growing up. <clears throat> and um, I, you know, I won't mention my which which family members, but it, there were things that I wasn't understanding as a kid, but I was tracking. And now, you know, 25, 30 years later, I'm I'm saying, oh my gosh, some of the stuff I've heard as a kid were very were very racist. And I realized too, um, two generations before mine, there was some heavy oppression by, by the Japanese in the Philippines. So, so a lot of Filipinos from that generation, the, the, the greatest generation as they've been called, have had some bitterness, um, had some hate towards Japanese people. And uh, again, I'm always harping on this, but that's a spiritual issue. To not forgive a people group for the oppression, whatever, whether it was heinous or just or unjust, um, to not forgive is like taking a drink of poison and hoping the other person dies. 
Now, I don't feel that tension against Japanese. I mean, I wasn't there in the, in the Bataan Death March. I, wasn't, I didn't feel the oppression of the emperor um, during the 40s and the 30s. But uh, I saw a little bit of that in, in the older generation. And for these little, these little uh, prideful little thoughts to come out, I, I just want to be the generation that says, no, I'm not going to pass that down to my kids. I'm not going to tell my kids. We stick with our own kind and don't marry, marry this ethnic group. I, I want them to see people as people. And, and, and I don't care when they become of age and, and they find interest in the opposite sex when they start dating, even when they get married. I don't care who they bring home. I, I care that they, that they see people as, as God sees them, have, have that agape love for them. So this is the generation. I want to stop those generational curses. Uh, my parents did a great job of, of squashing any, any sort of um, racist tendencies that got passed down from, from their parents' generation. Did a great job. But um, I also want to add on to that and just say, no, we don't participate in anything, in any sort of pride or racism because it's evil and offensive and it must be renounced. And um, I would say that if you do struggle with racism or are thinking you're better, even in a, even in a slight what, what may seem um, minor setting, like, like being, in, being a brown person in Hawaii and saying like, who are these, these howlies, who are these white people, they should go, they should go back to the mainland, like, like that, that type of pride, although it may seem little to you will manifest into all sorts of evil wickedness and that that's the kind of stuff that needs to be renounced and it needs to be exposed and you ought to find a community who can who can help you stay on um stay on top of that and keep that stuff exposed so that doesn't so it doesn't manifest into something so it doesn't turn into something and and we definitely don't want to bring that into the church we want to role model life that's coming in the kingdom by living in harmony with everybody not that social justice or the social gospel, it, that's, that's never been a big thing to me, but role modeling life in the kingdom here on earth is, is a campaign that's going on in my church right now, and I would say amen to that, and I would say it's a way, <clears throat> it's a means by which we can role model the gospel by, by sitting next to people of all different ethnic backgrounds, of all different um, levels of income. I mean, our, our, our small group when we were in Rhode Island was was just that. It was amazing. People from different backgrounds all sitting in the same room, different ethnic backgrounds. Um, we had a gal, her testimony was amazing. She 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 met a gal from the church through through a, a soup kitchen. She was homeless before. Now she's sitting in our living room and God was able to put together a lot of pieces in her life and she just role modeled um, gospel success when one person allows themselves to be loved and surrounded by a community of faith of the kind of things he can do. Let me see. Let me, let me end us here on so, a little more verses here. Um, about this one? First Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I would. That's a great place to end there. Um, because if we were to see, I mean, what if I would only see people how God sees them? Then I would never have any sort of bigotry or pride full thought. Um, I mean, the last, 
last time we took a bunch of uh, guys through the guys and gals through the uh, the freedom workshop uh, this one guy that I that that we partnered together to help bring some other guys through his name is Chad he he opened my eyes to another thing to renounce as far as racism and, and pride towards people groups but it's it's also pride towards um, different groups like druggies or homeless or homosexuals or heterosexuals with different issues and and just to renounce that kind of pride against all other groups as well as as ethnic backgrounds because it all needs to be renounced um yeah so that's my that's my um that's my reflection on today it was it was a it was a good day it's a good day to reflect on on some of the things that we've been graciously provided in this country uh, we have the privilege to live here um but but pride and arrogance and bitterness and bigotry is still alive in in the world because well this side of heaven the enemy is loose and on the prowl and um we want to point people back to to what matters most that's identity in christ that's the person of jesus christ coming and living a perfect life and dying on the cross and resurrecting from the dead so that the same power that resurrected him from the dead is at work in you and in me to put to death those tendencies to be racist to be prideful to be bitter to be resentful and and to live in community like that i mean i don't care who is in our community group in regards to their ethnic background or, or whatever their gender what whatever i just want people to say Man, I'm so messed up. I'm, I'm so in need of a savior. And then at that point, we can say, come on, let's go. Let's do life together. This is, there's always room for one more broken sinner in this group. And we're going to be rooted in the gospel. And we're going to teach our kids to love and to see others through those gospel lenses. Not as man sees, but as God sees a person who can look on the heart. So that was a pretty long rant, Fabcasters. Thank you for listening just want to encourage you encourage you as well as be transparent with you because we don't only want to share the gospel we want to share our lives as well all right this is our bar signing off peace out